Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope you've had a good week and that you're looking forward to a great weekend, whatever you've got planned. I hope it's awesome. Um, there is a lot of buzz in the air around the story this week and around the Huffman House, I will say, this week for a few reasons that I'll get into. First, I always get excited when we start a new me- uh, message series. And this Sunday uh, at the story, we'll start a new series called Scripture and the Skeptic, which will be an eight-week series based on my new book that you've heard about probably <laughs> by now. Uh, by the same name, of course, that book is uh, the, the second reason, I suppose, that I'm feeling so energized this week. Scripture and the Skeptic was officially released on Tuesday, and I have to tell you, it feels so, so good to finally say those words. So uh, some of y'all have asked how you can help um, get the the word out about the book, and I'm so grateful. Um, aside from buying copies of the book for you and all of your friends and coworkers and family members, etc., the best way that you can help us get the word out about Scripture and the Skeptic is by offering your review of the book on Amazon. It's really easy to do that, and you don't have to write uh, you know, a book of your own to offer a review. Just a five-star rating and a few nice words would, would suffice. So those reviews drive Amazon's algorithm, which drives book sales <laughs> uh, everywhere now. Amazon's everything now. And so uh, they will point more readers to Scripture and the Skeptic. And so just know that by taking the time to leave your review, you're really making a difference. And I am so, so grateful for that. Finally, my third reason uh, that my heart rate is up a little bit this week with excitement is because Kale Kenshin, our Timber Grove campus pastor, and his wife, Kim, our Story Kids director, are preparing now to welcome their new baby boy this weekend. So we're so excited for the Kenshin family. Please say a prayer for them, mostly for Kim, for obvious reasons. She's got the heavy lifting to do <laughs> this weekend. But for uh, Kale and Becca, their little girl, and, and uh, the little boy that's on the way, we're, we're just all in prayer. So, so, so happy for them. Now, this week's reflection is all about doubts. And before sharing it with you, I have one request of you, please. I'm looking for some specific examples of the sort of doubts that people are having about the Bible. If you're struggling with scripture today, or if you have in the past, you know, what issues or problems have been at the heart of that struggle? I would love to hear from you, and and I promise to keep whatever you share with me in the strictest confidence, but just be as specific as you can be with me about the verses or teachings or how the Bible's been used in ways that have just been unsettling for you and uh, hard to, you know, to feel good about. So I know everybody has doubts, so please email me with your deepest and darkest and most sincere doubts about the Bible at um, pastorsatthestory.church. Again, it's pastorsatthestory.church. Thank you in advance for that. Now for this week's reflection. I hope you know by now that it's not a sin to have doubts and questions about the Bible or about God or about your life's purpose. But it might be a sin to have those doubts and then do nothing about them. You know, it's fine to have doubts so long as doubts aren't all you have. Doubts can be like calories in that way. You need them to live, but if you consume too many of them and for too long while just laying around and doing nothing you'll wind up feeling just bloated and hating yourself. Doubts are healthy, though, when they inspire you to do something, when they inspire you to seek the truth. 
occasionally I'll hear from parents of college students, for example. I heard from one more this week over coffee, and his heart was broken because his his little girl, who is now a grown woman, is having doubts about Jesus. And, you know, parents in his situation will often ask me, what can I do to get my kid back in church? And I almost always say the same thing. I'm like, stop nagging them. <laughs> Every time you nag them, it feels coercive to them. And so they'll, they'll take another step back. So instead of that, you know, give him a Christian book that you can read together and then let him give you a non-Christian book, you know, a skeptical or atheist book that he's been influenced by. And y'all read both books together over coffee or whatever, and then agree to talk it out. Now, why do I give that kind of advice instead of just saying, you know, oh, it's bad news. You better pray and just give them a Bible, you know, the King James Version and, uh, and hope they read it. No, why take this other approach? Because questions and doubts should be encouraged, especially with young people, as long as those questions and doubts are leading someplace. You might think, well, don't we need to shield our young people from anything that's not totally Christian? What if that boy reads that book I gave him and becomes an atheist, you know? Well, there's two things to keep in mind. First, the church, we Christians, have got to stop treating young adults like they can't think for themselves. They can, in many cases, better than older people can. And second, we've got to stop underestimating the Holy Spirit's ability to walk with people through seasons of doubt and then to lead them back to faith. The Holy Spirit does that all the time. It's his greatest trick. It's his favorite thing. All the great Christian thinkers in history, from St. Augustine to Martin Luther to Mother Teresa, C.S. Lewis, Pope Francis, they've all experienced seasons of deep darkness and doubt. Mother Teresa once wrote in a letter, The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. That's Mother Teresa. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, who would set revivals on fire with his fiery preaching, he once said, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. It is quite time for us to begin to say, ah, oh, poor soul, I'm afraid you're not on the road at all. Now, secular folks tend to think that faith means blindly believing in something that frankly doesn't make sense. A Harvard University professor recently wrote an article insisting that the university remove a paragraph about reason and faith from its general education program. He wrote, and I quote, Faith, believing in something without good reasons to do so, has no place in anything but a religious institution, and our society has no shortage of these, unquote. Harvard University was founded, by the way, by intellectual Christians and named after John Harvard, himself an intellectual pastor who donated the first 400 books from his own collection to start the Harvard Library. Now, we should know that knowledge doesn't threaten faith. Knowledge strengthens faith because faith is not belief without knowledge. Faith is engaging your will. Faith is acting on what you know to be true. In John chapter 20, we have this famous story of the so-called doubting Thomas. History has not been kind to poor Thomas. All he's remembered for is doubting. Thomas was one of the 12 apostles. 
that Jesus chose. He's a big deal in Christian history, but all we know him for is doubting. Thomas wasn't even the only one who doubted. Among the disciples, there were all kinds of doubts. Even after they witnessed the risen Jesus, Matthew 28 says some of them doubted him. Now, Thomas, unfortunately for him, missed the first meeting where the disciples had already seen the risen Jesus. Thomas was the only one there in John 20 who hadn't seen the risen Jesus yet. And so, of course, he was going to have the most reservations about Jesus coming back from the dead. He, He was bound to have the most doubts. Now, a lot of things had happened that these guys had been through. Jesus had been arrested, convicted, brutally assassinated. The disciples at that point were in hiding. I think they're showing signs of PTSD. They've isolated themselves. They're afraid, paranoid. They kept the doors locked at all times. They were seriously traumatized. And then Jesus just showed up and started showing him, showing them his scars. And, And if you could just imagine that scene, why would Jesus show up and then show them his scars well first of all i think we have to remember the kind of guys we're talking about right we're talking about guys men men love comparing scars there must have been some awesome scars on jesus to look at i mean the crucifixion was brutal so those scars must have been gruesome but also for thomas and the other disciples jesus's scars stood for something they meant that jesus really was who he said he was a man who felt pain and experienced even death, but also more than a man, the Son of God who took the weight of the world on his shoulders and overcame. And the thing that Jesus' scars meant for Thomas is a dismissal of his doubts. From that moment on, after Jesus showed the disciples his scars, their trauma gave way to trust. They left the isolation of that room, and they went out into the world to make disciples like Jesus told them to. We believe that tradition tells us that Thomas, after this experience with Jesus in John 20, made it all the way to India, where he planted several churches that still exist today before he was killed by angry priests in India. Thomas wasn't just a doubter. Thomas just needed a personal connection with Jesus to know that it was all true. It wasn't enough for him to know about Jesus based on what other guys were telling him. He needed to know Jesus for himself. And there's a huge difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. To believe in someone is to think they're great kind of from a distance. You know, I believe in you, Houston Astros. Just (laughs) stay away from the trash cans. I don't know. To believe in someone is impersonal, but to believe someone is to know them. To believe someone is personal. And when it comes to your faith in Jesus, you can come to church and hear me talk ad nauseum about Jesus. You can read books about him. You can know facts about him. You can be religious in his name. But when it comes to Jesus, there is no substitute for a personal relationship with him, a personal encounter, one-on-one, you and Jesus just like Thomas had with Jesus. For some of us, that probably sounds like just religious talk. You might think the whole me and Jesus thing works for other people, but it's not your style. 
Other people seem close to Jesus or Jesus freakish in their love for him, but you'd rather keep it casual with Jesus. Other people claim to feel his presence and hear his voice and they lift their hands, but that's never really happened to you. You've never heard his voice. He's never spoken to you. And if that's where you're at, all I have to ask with all due respect is, are you sure? Are you sure he hasn't spoken? Have you ever made a habit of stopping to listen? Have you ever read his word to see that in fact he's already spoken more than enough to us today if we are listening? Do we sometimes avoid intimacy with Jesus because we doubt that it might make a difference or because we'd rather do other things? Listen, don't let that happen to you anymore. Don't let your doubts define you. There was this guy on the website Reddit the other day who just was really giving me a hard time. (laughs) And he said, no matter what you say, you can't prove God exists, so why bother? And he went on and on. And you know what, that guy, he's right. I can't prove God exists. You can't either, but you can know that God exists. You can't prove God, but you can know God. Proof is verifiability. Knowledge is relationship. You can know God exists because he came here as a real man and lived a real life. He went through hell on earth and had the scars to show for it. And we believe that he still lives today because death could not keep him in the grave. Billions of people the world over have experienced personal encounters with him. Illiterate peasants and Harvard graduates, homeless folks downtown and Fortune 500 CEOs have all experienced the same Jesus in a personal way. It happens, even now, when you take the time to stop and listen. It happens when you pray. It happens when you go deep into the Bible. It happens when you make time for worship, for small groups. Jesus still shows up. His scars still speak when we take the time to listen. That's all for this week, everybody. I hope to see you this weekend in worship, in person. At 8.30, or 11 at River Oaks. And of course, at 9.45 at our Timber Grove campus at 8200 Washington Avenue. Or if you're not ready to come in, uh, in person yet, or if you're out of town, visit us online at thestory.church for some live worship on Sunday morning. I love you all. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.